This is MJ. Welcome to my fully operational Star Wars podcast. I'm going to be talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace in this episode as I embark upon a journey towards the debut of the Ahsoka series and hopefully my coverage of the Ahsoka series. If it's awful by Episode One and Two, which are debuting on the same day, I guess I'll drop it. I don't think it's going to be awful, so... I don't anticipate that happening, but if it does, uh, well, that'll be a really interesting way to, to have to keep the show going with a, some sort of pivot. So, anyway, which I have ideas. i got plenty of ideas for what to do. I don't want to talk about that. But what I do want to talk about right now is, like I said, Phantom Menace Episode 1, the first Star Wars movie you should watch. Because that it's Episode 1. That makes the most sense. So, I tried to unlearn what I had learned all my years as a Star Wars fan and just enjoy this movie for its uh, for its own sake. And I'm going to start off with something a little bit negative, which is I'm not really a, a race car. I'm not really a car guy, race car guy, car chase guy. And the pod race is almost like a car chase um, in a movie. And I don't really dig it. I heard way back in the day that it was very much inspired by Ben-Hur. I watched Ben-Hur... Uh, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, maybe. Could have been a little bit longer uh, ago than that. And uh, I actually had to find the chariot race very exciting, and I thought, oh, okay, I see George Lucas having grown up as a kid in Modesto, watched Ben-Hur at the drive-in or whatever, and was enamored by this, and he thought, i got to do this someday, and then he got the opportunity with Phantom Menace, and I can't blame him for doing it. Um, but it just uh, it kind of dragged on. It didn't really keep my attention too well, Uh I was uh, I was in a holding pattern, so I didn't leave or go anywhere. I didn't skip it, but I did think about skipping it. I thought, I'm watching this streaming. I could just skip this bad boy. No problem. Chick-chock, you know, zips up, zack. No issue. But I, uh, I stuck with it, and, I mean, it is good. It is good. It's just, it's too long. I think it's too much. And I believe the, uh, the currently available version on the streaming platforms is the uh, too long version, which is the director's cut, which, you know, I want Lucas to have his say and have final word, but, you know, sometimes I, uh, I quibble with some of his choices, and giving us the extended version of that was bad. There's a redeeming quality to it, though, which I will get to later, but I think it could have been truncated um, in order to do only what it needed to do, which is what I think happened in the original, original uh, theatrical release. But uh, So, my main issue with the movie is that pod race is just too darn long and I'm not sure what else it's almost like kind of it makes the movie feel like it slows down and stops in the middle of it I like everything else around it and I mean really that's my biggest gripe that's my biggest issue with the movie is the pod race just is it's too much and I've said that enough I've said that too much now so I don't want to give you the uh, you know eight more minute <laughs> complaining about it version so I'm going to stop and pivot to the things that I like. I like that this was basically, in a weird way, Amidala or Padme's movie, and you get the introduction in the crawl talking about how the taxation of the taxation and blockade of her planet has been done by this Trade Federation group, and there's your villains, because taxation is theft, uh, and taxation is death, and she is trying to declare or assert her sovereignty and it's all being mired by the the progress of that attempt or bid or whatever effort is being mired by the Senate and the fact that, you know, she's blockaded on her planet and can't get off uh, you know, very easily. So uh, you know, the Trade Federation is doing something evil. They're trying to 
come in, come in, and you know, at the point of a gun, force an arrangement or a, a, a treaty, whatever, with Naboo, which is you know super wrong. It'd be like going over to your neighbor and uh, pointing a gun in their face and telling them they have to, uh, you know, buy gas from you or buy whatever you you know whatever you do in your business. They have to only shop at your store or whatever and you know pay you money based off of that. That's that's not okay. So you know it. A lot of people complain about the complicated nature of the politics, but it's basically that simple. It's they're trying to coerce her into doing a business arrangement that she doesn't want to, and then when she doesn't, they threaten to you know put her people in camps and then start assassinating or murdering all of them. Which I think we've found out through history that when people try to put people in camps and then kill them one by one or you know collectively, that's uh, that's a no-no. So um, yeah, pretty clearly they are super evil, super bad guys. And we learn along the way that they're being controlled by this, or influenced by this Sith, who has his own Sith apprentice. Uh, and we know that, that he's the apprentice, Darth Maul. And we get to see how he's manipulating things and influencing things in the background, uh, and that his focus, or his efforts, are being exerted on Naboo and on the young queen, Amidala. And it's interesting, because we basically get, like, this movie is the quest for Amidala to save her planet from tyranny and oppression and from the threat of these Trade Federation guys. And along the way, she picks up uh, an R2 unit as a companion, two Jedi Knights as, a, as companions. Uh, she's got her trusty, you know, royal bodyguard dude, Typho, I believe is his name. And, or, you know, that's Panaka. Typho's the next guy. Anyway, and then, you know, this farm... Or not this farm boy, this slave boy from Tatooine and uh, Jar Jar as well. And it's really interesting because the first half of the movie sets up her collecting all of these allies and then you have this respite on Coruscant where they're all able to regroup and, like, their fates are kind of altered or spun in different directions and things aren't going quite the way they want them to, uh, not the way our heroes want them to. Um, And then she decides she's going to book it and go back to Naboo with the Gungan ally with the Jedi as protectors with her security captain de- uh, security detail captain guy you know Panaka and uh, with um, with the slave boy why exactly is Anakin going with them I guess Anakin's going because uh, Qui-Gon is going and uh, you know Obi-Wan is going with him because it's their mission but he's taken receipt of Anakin and is taking care of him now he's basically his ward and that's kind of interesting uh, that through this confluence of events, all these allies that Padme picks up go back with her to Naboo, and they're all essential, absolutely essential, in getting the planet freed from the Trade Federation and in pulling out this victory, this very unexpected victory. And I guess pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. Um, the whole thing with this uh, Kagamushu Shadow Warrior, which that's what that means, uh, decoy, uh, is interesting. Uh, I find it interesting for two reasons. One, uh, a New Hope is very much inspired by, or takes a lot of things from, uh, The Hidden Fortress. I watched a little bit of The Hidden Fortress, and I was shocked. I did not watch the whole movie, but I, I watched, I don't know, half of it or a quarter of it. I was flabbergasted by how much that thing, at least visually, is Star Wars A New Hope. Like, it was shocking. And, uh... <laughs> and, uh, I, I haven't watched Kagamusha, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some... Uh, if there's some semblance of that, or you know, if, if history wouldn't 
rhyme. I, w- I would be shocked if history didn't rhyme, and watching that, I would say, oh, this is very much just The Phantom Menace, or The Phantom Menace is very much taking shot for shot some things from Kagamusha. But anyway, it's about decoy for uh, you know Japanese, somebody, noble of some sort, I believe. And uh, that's what's going on with Padme and her handmaidens, or the, you know, Amidala and her handmaidens, one of which is Padme. Padme's the true queen, and then we've got uh, they don't say in the movie, but I know from all the other Star Wars stuff that I've enjoyed that it's uh, Corday is no, it's not Corday. Sane is her primary. Uh, that's she's played by Kira Knightley. Uh, she's the primary decoy. I can mostly tell now when it's you know who is who, um, even if I'm not seeing Padme in her handmaiden garb. But it is shocking how much those two women look alike and how much they uh, like that voice, that Amidala voice that they do conceals the identity and that they're both able to you know pitch up or down or whatever to it and that's really cool like I, I really think it's fa- fabulous um, and I don't know if this is an apocryphal story I believe it's actu- actually 100% true that uh, either one of their mothers was on set and she couldn't tell that her daughter wasn't in the role that she thought she was supposed to be in um, she thought she was Amidala and she wasn't which is you know wild so that's pretty cool I, I think it's really neat um, it's interesting that there's not like more said about that. It's it's funny how much uh, the movie is like showing that stuff with the decoy and how that's part of I guess not Alderaan. Um, what is this plan? Naboo. It's part of Naboo, and it's not talked about. It's not. It's not really. I mean, other than the fact that she you know, admits it at one point, it's astonishing. However, going back through the movie, you could see little clues, and I don't know if Qui Gon knew or not. That's up for debate. That's up to debate for me. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just very interesting, and it's very, I don't know, like, compelling, and it's super cool how she and her decoy, uh, you know, in the assault on the palace to retake the palace, they, like, the audience now knows that they're decoys, or that there's a decoy involved here, but the Trade Federation people don't, and they assume for whatever reason, I, I guess because they've seen Amidala, she looks enough like the queen, right, when she doesn't have her makeup on, um, that she looks enough like her that they think they've captured her at one point and then the decoy comes along dressed in the you know royal garb and they think oh no this is a decoy that's the real one so I mean it's not like these tactics are unknown in history and people talk about like oh this president has a decoy that president has a decoy or like Saddam Hussein had a bunch of decoys and stuff um and again this is 2023 July 2023 so I'm bringing up Saddam Hussein anyway uh and you know it's it's a known thing in the world it's just it's surprising. Like, you you know, I never saw it coming uh, when I originally watched the movie. And, uh, yeah, it's super interesting and, and super compelling. And stuff like that makes it feel like it's definitely Padme's movie or Amidala's movie, whatever. Um, but there is a surprising amount of focus on the Jedi. Like, we start off with the Jedi infiltrating or, you know, going under the Trade Federation ship and trying to talk to them, but then they're, you know, going to get poisoned or whatever. Um, like, it starts off kind of from their perspective, but they're going there for the sake of Amidala, and we see her pretty quickly. And, you know, however, she does carry the action forward. You know, they go to rescue the queen, not the princess this time, the queen, and because of what happened with the ship, it diverts their efforts, but, you know, the handmaiden Padme and Amidala, you know, by... Well, I mean, she is Amidala. Goes along the journey with them on Tatooine to figure out how to get them off the planet, how to get their ship fixed, and it, you know, spirals off into all this stuff, but you... It's... I don't know, it's almost better, because it's like Padme and Amidala are separate characters at some point in the movie, and then at one point... And then, you know, 
when the reveal happens in the Gungan holy place, uh, then we realize that they were the same character the whole time, and uh, it, I don't know, it just, it makes it really cool and really neat, and then, I don't know, I, I almost become, like, more invested in her character and what she's doing, because I realize, like, th- these are the lengths that this queen is willing to go to, to protect her planet, and it's obvious that, you know, everything Amidala was saying, whether that was Keira Knightley or, uh, the other lady, um, you know, performing as Amidala at that time, like, those were coordinated efforts, those were things that both, you know, that the queen, the royal we of the queen, agreed to do, or agreed, uh, were the best course of action in that time, and there's even, like, a, a subtle instance where, um, she, uh, Keira Knightley kind of turns to the handmaidens, but specifically Padme, and says something like, it'll be dangerous, and she says, we're brave, your highness, which, I, I assume now, in retrospect, that's like a code that they'd worked out. Like, don't worry about it. We'll go ahead and forward. We'll go ahead. And, we'll go ahead and go forward with this plan. You know, we trust you. And like, hey, I'm the real queen, and I, you know, you're deferring to me. And I'm telling you, I want us to go forward with this course of action, even though it's risky, because we're prepared for this. And I don't know. It's it's weird, and it's um, you know, living in 2023 America, it's oddly like I don't know, progressive for its time, or like post. I don't know, post-feminism or post... I don't know what, but, like, you have a queen with her handmaidens who are these, you know, from all outward appearances, sissy women in, you know, weird, fancy clothes, but, like, they're a team of warriors and operatives and, like, you know, spies and, uh, you know, they're handling weapons in the palace siege and they're basically, like, these cool, secret class of warriors... Not secret class, necessarily, but, like, a secret set of warriors... And, like, not only are they handmaidens, but they're also, you know, <laughs> fighters and stuff. And, like, that's super cool. That's a super neat idea. And it's, like, a weird thing to come out of this, you know, presumably, you know, semi-matriarchal society that is Naboo, who has this elected queen. Which, I guess, you don't really know about that stuff till you read the books. Um, but that's definitely, you know, what's going on, and the, the seeds of it are there. And that's pretty interesting and pretty compelling stuff. Um, the Jedi are amazing. Uh, I love them fighting the droidicas, I love uh, them using their super speed uh, it's super cool that they have those gadgets like the, the breath thing for under the water and I mean like they have all this weird gear, on, like they have the force and they use it but they also have these cool gadgets that they use which is pretty fun um, it's disappointing that there's a well I, I know it was a deleted scene, I don't know if it got restored to this version or not but like they use these like grappling hooks which is super cool um, and they, they use them when they surface in the, the bonga or whatever it's called uh, in order to get to the palace in Thede. And, uh, like, that's, that's super cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. As much as it's, you know, neat that they're these mystical warriors who have all these powers, I also like seeing them using gadgets. And it seems kind of out of place, but it's also, um, you know, very serial-ish, uh, which makes sense because, you know, Lucas is pulling from those old, old serials. And, uh, hey, it's just cool. So, um, anyway, I, I definitely love Qui-Gon. I love his defiance to the council or, you know, how he defies the council and how, you know, he claims it's because of this higher moral stance of, like, following the living force and listening to the force as opposed to trying to make the force do what you want. And, you know, there's not a lot of context on, on Jedi and force stuff if, you know, if you're looking at this for the first time. But it's interesting to know that there are people with differences of opinions on how to use this, you know, force thing. And, um, yeah, that's neat. I like the fact that Anakin has this, like, really interesting you know, morality to him, speaking of, you know, Lucas making these for, these movies for 12-year-olds, and it's about learning, it's about indoctrinating or inculcating this moral code or this moral 
uh, you know, thinking into children, uh, you know, particularly the 12-year-old boys among us. And Anakin saying that his mother, Shmi, has told him that the problem with this galaxy is that basically people don't help each other. And because of his growing up as a slave, he's had nothing. And he's so open and warm and loving and generous and willing to risk his life doing pod racing to help save these people who he barely knows and just his selflessness in that situation is really cool and then you know uh, I mentioned the pod race being you know over overdone but like where his uh, you know engines get messed with and he resets power to them and does all this fancy stuff there's a little bit of a parallel in the visual length like the whole thing of him doing the pod racing it being dangerous and him risking himself to save everybody uh that comes back and that's echoed later on in the movie when he's stuck in the Naboo the Animal and Starfighter that awesome yellow and chromed out ship um and he like certain just like the, the way the goggles are worn on him the control I don't know control yoke or the control handles are you know similar oh actually they're not that similar they're a little different never mind that part doesn't work but like you know he's been proven to be a pilot it's not just oh you know we've never seen this kid touch a ship and then next thing we know he's piloting we got to see him do well at pod racing, but also fail and have issues and and have a bunch of problems while he was doing it, while he was doing the race, and then we got to see him think quickly and overcome those problems, and then, you know, he has R2 restart the fighter when he's inside of the droid control ship, and some of the visual languages repeated where he's, like, toggling controls and pressing buttons and switches and things like that, and I just thought that was, like, a really cool echo of what had happened earlier, and, yeah, while R2's the one who, you know, gets the ship up and running again, uh, it's Anakin's piloting, and it's Anakin's action and forward momentum and drive to, you know, stay in the fight, because R2's like, hey, we should pull out, right? And he says, no. Master Qui-Gon said, stay in this cockpit, and that's what I'm doing, and I love how it's a little uh, hint at Anakin's character, that he's going to take you literally, and he's going to do what you said to do, but he's also going to do what he wants to do. And that's a really interesting character. Uh, it's a really dynamic character. And it's fun that he, you know, he started up the ship uh, that he had to stay in for safety in order to fight off those droidicas when the Jedi went to fight Maul. And, you know, he's saving, saving Padme, who he definitely has some affection for and appreciation for as a person. Um, but then that, you know, continues and goes to its logical, you know, conclusion of him destroying the droids and basically saving the planet of Naboo, uh, you know, while the Gungans were putting themselves at risk doing this faint attack. I love how it's like this cool three-pronged attack, too, like, and like this, you know, this girl, Amidala, Padme, whatever, like, she came up with that plan. That's really neat to think that she or she and her handmaidens or she and her handmaidens and the the security guy, like, all came up with this cool plan to utilize the Gungans to draw out the Trade Federation forces and then, you know, attack the palace to seize uh, New Gunray in order to help bring him to justice and, you know, make sure that nothing like this ever happens to Naboo again. And meanwhile, they're using the diversion to go and destroy the ships up in atmosphere. Like, that's just, it's super cool. And I love that spreading out of the battle and the cutting back and forth was really good. Um, very exciting and yeah just I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie and it was super cool um, the midichlorian thing is an issue if you watch this movie first and uh, I don't want to get into a debate about that so I'm not going to but yeah it's really neat and I like how 
if you're only watching this movie, the good guys win. But you can see little shadows of machinations of stuff going on. And, like, obviously there's the loss because Qui-Gon dies. But then there's the mystery, the Jedi don't know. You know, Yoda and Mace Windu were talking about this. It was the Master or Apprentice that got killed. But we know it was just the Apprentice. or not? It's, it was the Apprentice, so the Master is still out there. And you know, the audience knows, that there's still this Sith threat which the Jedi thought wasn't a problem for them anymore, but the Sith have returned. It's the return of the Sith that could be the alternate name for uh, the Phantom Menace, which, you know, essentially it's the same thing, right? Um, And now we know that there's more potential for conflict. We know that there's this Darth Sidious out there who's stirring up trouble and who's manipulating things, and um, that's really neat. But at the same time, we have this victory of the heroes. We have the promise of Anakin becoming a Jedi, um, you know, Obi-Wan is, uh, you know, burdened or bound by this oath that he made to his dying master, Qui-Gon Jinn, and, you know, there's something going on here, and we're not 100% sure what it is, but it's cool because it keeps, like, it it makes a nice launching point for this universe, and, you know, I don't know, I mean, obviously I do know what the next movie is going to be and what it's going to be about, but thinking about this as like the first in a series, it's really cool because it does a really good job of setting up things. It introduces you to some of what the Jedi are. It shows you that they have these great enemies from long ago who they thought were extinct who are back now, the Sith. Um, it shows you that there is, you know, political corruption and manipulation and machinations going on and that there's this, you know, really interesting, uh, you know, queen character who saved her planet with the help of the Jedi you know, in the midst of the corruption of the Republic, and, I don't know, it just sets like, you know, there's a corrupt Republic, there's these cool mystical warriors who won't fight a war for you, but will help you, you know, will help protect you and things like that, according to them, and they have this great enemy who's coming up to, you know, kick up dust and cause more trouble in the galaxy, and, oh, that's like a really cool start to a series, and, you know, you would expect things to go the ne- you know a certain way in the next movie, uh, in the series, but, uh, you know, you might be surprised how they actually go, and, anyway, that being said, you know, not talking about what happens in the next movie just yet, uh, it is really cool how it all sets up and primes you, the audience, for the next movie, or the next episode of the series, and, yeah, I just think it really does a good job, it does its job very well, and I'm super satisfied with it, so, um, and I say that both as a long-time Star Wars fan and as just somebody who, you know, likes the movies and thinks they're good and competent. And just trying to have this, you know, naive uh, <laughs> thinking as I came into it. And I just thought, after the movie finished, I thought, that's a good movie. I really like it. The Padres thing kind of drags. But other than that, like, it's a really good movie, and I really enjoy it. And I'm so glad I watched that, and I'm excited to watch the next one. So let me know your thoughts on The Phantom Menace, whether you're thinking about it, you know, your generic thoughts on it, your, if you're going to be like me and pretend you watched it for the first time, what your thoughts are on it, and, you know, what do you think about it as the first movie in a series, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let me know. Um, you can leave notes, or you can leave uh, comments on the blog, follow the show notes, and see where all you can talk to me about this movie. Until next time, folks, this is MJ signing out. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.